Welcome to Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker. I am an author, speaker, and professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I really love having geeky conversations with people about new things. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. Welcome back to part three of a conversation with Professor Pinchas Shir, the Associate Professor of Ancient Cultures at Israel Bible Center. If you have missed the first two episodes in this conversation about the course Jewish Apostle Paul Part 2, you really should go back and listen to them because they provide important context for today's conversation. Last week, we talked about the differences between the communities in Rome and Galatia and how they influenced how Paul wrote to them. In essence, Paul was tackling very different attitudes Gentiles had about the Jews. Last week, Professor Shear said... What Paul does explaining is explaining how Israel fits in with Romans. Because Romans, is, as believers, they, they know they believe in Christ. They know what has happened in their lives. There's no doubt in their mind they are where they are. But they have come to think that somehow they can be all that without Israel being in the picture. But also from last week, you may remember that this attitude was totally different from what the Galatians thought. The Galatian believers wanted to be circumcised, in essence, to become Jews, because they felt that would give them something they otherwise did not have. And Paul tried to dissuade them. So this week, I wanted us to talk a little bit more about what is happening in the epistle to the Galatians, because some traditions see in Galatians an antagonism between Christianity and Judaism but it could actually just be because Paul is addressing identity in a unique way. So I asked Professor Shear to explain what Paul said the role of Torah is to the group of believers in Galatia. Right, so as, as Paul is trying to persuade his disciples in Galatia not to become circumcised, not become Jews, he actually shows to them a side of Torah that may not be so appealing. He talks about following Torah, and once you take on this for yourself, you're liable to all the laws of the Torah. Well, that's a lot, actually. He talks about the condemnation of the law, for example, things like that. Like, well, he says, now you're living without condemnation. Why? Because you do not have Torah, because you're not circumcised. You become Jews, now you come under a new constitution of rules. Now you, have to, now you have to follow, and now God can legally charge you with all these things that you're not doing after you have converted, after you become Jews. Now that you're Jews, you're responsible for all these rules. Before you are Jews, well, nobody's going to ask you of this, because after all, it's not a covenant under which you are signing and saying, yes, I will do those things. So it's a different social status, essentially. And so that issue of identity, the issue of social status plays in. And so a lot of times people misread of what Paul is trying to do. He's not trying to advertise Torah, obviously. He's trying to say that life under Torah is not all it is peachy that you think. 
It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And so in doing that, he kind of pushes it maybe sometimes a little bit too far for some. And people start looking at those statements as those anti-Torah statements, as in Paul is against Torah himself. Guess what? That's not what we see in his life. Yeah, exactly. And you end up with Christians who still kind of take that view of Jesus is giving us grace and the Old Testament Torah gave us law, which was heavy and impractical or something like that. And some of that comes from Paul's views as expressed here in Galatians. So there's this uh, illusion of anti-Torah teaching, okay? But remember, Paul is not addressing his fellow Jews. He's addressing a bunch of confused disciples who are trying to become Jews for the wrong reasons. So he's trying to dissuade them. He's going to use every trick in the book. And that's just the trick he uses. He paints the Torah in a very negative light in Galatians. Well, he actually paints the Torah in a more positive light in other books. The ones that need some guidance from the Torah, he actually presents it in a very positive way. But in Galatians, there's a lot of negative things that are said about the law. And and it, it complicates our ability to receive that in context of what he's saying. So we, we miss the context. We miss, miss the feeling with which he says those things and the reason why he says those things, because that's what they need to hear. They have a great affinity for Torah. And he's saying, well, there's these things in the Torah that you really need to be aware of. There's a curse of the law. You know, the whole curse of law, he talks about that quite a bit. Uh, yeah, there's curse. You read the end of Deuteronomy, you don't do these things. This is what's going to happen to you. I'm sorry to say this is a scary chapter. The end of Deuteronomy, one of the scariest things you're going to read in the Torah. There are terrible things that God says is going to happen if you don't follow his commandments. So he says, look, you want that? And so he's trying to dissuade them. And, and that's the rhetoric. That's the push. Now, people misread that in thinking that, okay, this is Paul being down on his Torah. This is Paul being down on his Judaism. He's just such an unhappy man. How can you live this, this awful, terrible religion of Torah? That's not where he is. That's what they need to hear. And that's what he tells them, essentially. But it's very, as I said, every letter is situational. And we, when we ignore that situation, when we make it into a, just theological statements that stand on their own legs, we make a huge mistake. And that's where we're going to misread misrepresent everything that Paul said in, in his writings. That's where we get in trouble. So it's interesting when we think about covenant and Torah, because it's in the book of Galatians that Paul looks backwards to patriarchal times and he identifies Hagar and Sarah and, and then even the two sons, their two primary sons, and then compares them and then connects them to the covenant. The analogy is a little bit complex to follow to a certain extent. So what do you think Paul is doing by, I mean, he's pulling from the past and a history that the Galatians don't share, but is trying to say, this is going to help us understand what the covenant is. So what is his primary point? Yeah, apparently Galatians have been taught Torah. So he keeps referring to them knowing these things, they knowing the stories. He keeps referring to the stories of the patriarchs. So apparently they have been taught Torah to some degree, whether by him or somebody else, but they do know these foundational stories. And they've taken solace in them actually quite a bit. How much further do they know things beyond Torah? We don't know. Of course, we think Today, we just take the Bible, pull it off of our shelf and read it. And whatever we need is right there. But it's not like they had a scroll of 
you know, Septuagint laying around in the middle of Galatia somewhere that they can right. just pull from and read all the Torah and read all the prophets and the Psalms in Greek. Most of that material, it exists, it exists in Hebrew, it doesn't exist in Greek, it's not readily available and certainly not easily disseminated and clearly would not be available to most people. Maybe some library somewhere will have those things. Maybe some priest somewhere will have them, but you're not going to have this nice collection of all the books of the Bible uh, just kind of laying around. So yeah, how much do they know? It's hard for us to say. They do know the Torah stories. And so he appeals to those. Uh, but what they also know is their own folklore. And I think he appeals to that. And that's what most of the readers of the Book of Galatians do not know because they do not know the cultural milieu of a Galatian life, essentially. What were these people living like? What were they worshiping before they met Paul, before they knew any of the Torah? Like, what were they bowing to and how were they worshiping? That's what people don't understand. So actually, in my course, I go quite a bit into the worship of Galatians, what myths they believed, what they embraced, what gods or goddesses they worshiped, and how and in which way, and actually connect the issue of circumcision to that belief, that story, uh, which they have a very, very rich lore. And, and actually, archaeology shows us that. So where does this allegory that Paul talks about, and let's keep it clear in our minds that it's an allegory, he says, I'm going to tell you an allegory. And then he goes to tell you the story. Now, most people read that allegory, do not read it as an allegory. They read it theologically. But he just told you it's an allegory. Well, what is an allegory? Well, you know things are going to be flipped on, on from their head to tail and back and forth and upside down and inside out. Everything's going to be different because that's the very definition of allegory. And it makes no sense to us. The reason why it makes no sense, because he flips everything. The reason why it makes no sense is because we don't understand what Galatians understand. We're not connecting to the historical cultural knowledge that they have. So just to give a little teaser without giving away everything that's in my course, Galatians worship mother goddess. Okay. And the mother goddess is identified with mountains, by the way. So the reason why Paul tells an allegory where you have the story of mothers, Hagar and Sarah, is because they worship mother goddess. And the reason why those mothers are identified with mountains, one is Mount Sinai in Arabia, he says, and the other one, well, the other one is probably Mount Zion in Jerusalem. He pits those images against each other, and he basically says, which one are you going to choose? All right? And so the mothers have sons, right? They have heirs. And uh, the mother goddess was the fertility goddess. The, the main feature of fertility goddess is giving heirs, giving sons. And so their entire Galatian worship was based around worshiping these mother goddesses. And essentially what he does is he taps into their knowledge of culture and he takes their cultural images and fuses them with the cultural images from Torah, which they are newly learned. And then he tells us this allegory. As I said, most readers of the book of Galatians have no idea about Anatolian worship customs. And because they don't, they're going to read it only with the eyes that they have. And that's why the allegory makes no sense, because your reference points are missing. Not missing for Galatians. They're missing for outsiders reading Galatians. So through the study of archaeology and things like that, we can uh, 
fill in some of those gaps through the study of history, reading ancient texts that are relating to those people populating that area, we can fill in some of those gaps. And that allows us to read Galatians, again, in context, which I think Paul knew very intimately, because that's really not even that far from where he is from. Remember, he's called Paul of Tarsus. And if you understand geography, Tarsus, not that huge distance away from Galatia. So he probably knew those myths and those stories very intimately. He understood those people culturally very well, as much as he probably understood his own people. And that makes him a perfect person to speak into their lives in the way that is so imaginative and so pictorial that we completely miss. Okay, so are you going to tell us what Paul thinks about circumcision, or are people going to have to go through the mythology in your class to really to find out? It's, it's, it's a good idea to, to do that today. Of course, I, mean, I don't know if I could do it justice in a short uh, short time. So Paul clearly <laughs> dissuades them from circumcision, but the reasoning that he follows is very culturally tied to the some of the notions that Galatians have. So what we have to understand about circumcision in the ancient world that for Romans, circumcision was barbaric. For most people from Greco-Roman culture, circumcision was just the worst thing you can possibly yeah, do. Yeah, like mutilation. It's mutilation. Yeah, it's just it was considered a disfigurement. You know, if you look at all the Roman art and all the sculptures and all the drawings, they always draw people and they always have them naked with all the genitalia just showing in full glory. So... There's that idea of almost deifying a human body and making the beauty of a human form to be perfection. Why would you want to ruin the perfection? Why would you want to mutilate it? You have something that's so beautiful. You want to destroy it like that? That's how they saw circumcision. And so if that's the perspective you have on circumcision, which is definitely not a Jewish view on circumcision, but then you propose this to people, and they're going to see this in a very negative way. Now, if Galatians were to become circumcised, what they need to be primarily concerned about is how is everyone else in their community is going to see them? Even if they get over that obstacle of circumcision and they get over their mind, they see the value of it, and they understand it like Jews do, everybody else is not going to. They're going to be outsiders in their own world. And that is a very difficult life when you're living in the middle of Anatolia where there's really not a lot of Jewish support groups out there. And so how are they going to make it in that hostile world, being outsiders? It's an, it's hard enough, and now you're going to become so countercultural. So, yeah, there's many reasons why Paul, I think, tries to dissuade them from that move. And that's one of them. Uh, number one, theologically, for, as far as he's concerned, is not necessary. Practically speaking, he says, look, the Spirit has come into your life in its fullness what else do you want? Do you think you're going to get more by getting circumcised or something? You know, He tells them, you already have 100% of God's grace that you possibly can have. What is this going to give you? And so his rhetoric is all about dissuading them. But people do take that. And again, this whole even discussion about circumcision, and they turn it into anti-Judaism. They turn it into, okay, this is Paul being countercultural, being not a good Jew, and he's saying that circumcision has no value and on and all of that. Again, flip it completely because we don't understand the force of his argument. We don't understand why he's going, even going there. 
it's, uh, you know, it's hard for me to see people take this out of context and twist it and turn it, but I read it every day in all sorts of books. And, and that's part of the reason why I decided to put this course together is to kind of help people see the other side, because you very rarely get to hear the other side and have Paul explained it this way. The moment you start reading them that way, actually, it will make a lot more sense. I think there's something so great about the course because you do you do take a little bit of time to dive in deep to those communities, but at the same time, you haven't lost sight of the overall goal, which is to help us understand Paul more and to stop thinking that he's schizophrenic in the way that he's writing and to actually value the fact that the context is shaping those communities and he's writing so specifically to a community to deal with those issues. And as a contextual person myself, I mean, all of us, I think, are at IBC. We just love that, the bigger context. Uh, and so I just appreciate that bigger view that you have in your course. It's really exciting and stimulating. And it gets to a point where you kind of go, of course, that of course, that totally makes sense. I just didn't think about it before. In light of seeing it from that perspective, all of a sudden, I mean, it's just, uh, courses, a lot of times what they allow me to do is they allow me to take an audience with me for a while and kind of drag them along to all the different issues that I want to see. And if people pay enough attention, eventually they start seeing what I see. And part of the reason why they didn't see it before is because that information was actually not even known to them. So I present a lot of new information alongside of the familiar passages, which is what we do a lot of times. But I do believe that this research, and it's not something that is unknown or secretive, it's there. Uh, it just needs to be synthesized with what we're reading. And that's what a lot of times people are not doing. Well, thank you for taking the time to give us a small taste of your course. And of course, people can register just by clicking on the link in the episode notes of this podcast episode. But Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me in this conversation about Paul and theology. This course and many others like it are part of Israel Bible Center Certificate Program in Jewish Context and Culture. If you click on the link in the notes at the very bottom of this episode, it will only take you three minutes to enroll in that program. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thank you for being curious about the world of the Bible. Bye.